BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, July 21st, man. I just can't get it. I can't get the date right. Just it's like the days are accumulating and piling up. Headline in today's uh, paper as I read, uh, writers on strike. Yeah, that strikes me going on a while uh, in Hollywood. Excellent article in the New York Times talking about how the changing economy it's like eradicating the middle class. Is that even the middle class? It's like, like these are like upper middle class jobs. And, and folks, like, I, it's interesting because whenever somebody else is suffering, this is one of my favorite themes, ladies and gentlemen, about uh, my fellow Americans. It's probably beyond America. But whenever anybody is suffering, there's a tendency people have to try to not empathize for them because i don't know what it is it's like there's only so much empathy anybody has and they don't want to squander it they're like a little like selfish about it or uh maybe they don't want to feel like it's so bad they have to do something about it so they want to justify not doing anything uh but i just noticed this uh, over the last i don't know 20 years or so Whenever there's an issue about like McDonald workers, for instance, trying to form a union uh, to get more money uh, from management, I remember like otherwise liberal types telling me, well, you know, Ben, really, I mean, um, these are not the most sophisticated jobs in the world, which I always thought was kind of a curious take to have because I would think the most important person in a service industry is the one who's dealing with the public. And who else is dealing with the public when it comes to McDonald's? But the people that like literally take your money and give you your burgers. So I thought that was a curious attitude that people had. It was uh, symptomatic of this larger tendency that people had. Well, I don't want to feel sorry. I want to, I'm not ready to show any empathy for this person. My life is good. Well, what happened to McDonald's workers is now spreading, my friends. I saw it happen with teachers when they moved the charter school movement and that undercut the salaries and the benefits that teachers have. Uh, I have seen it happen 
uh, in the service economy business. Uh, I've seen it happen with newspapers. And now I'm seeing it happen with actors and writers in Hollywood. And so I'm with them all. I, I'm a union guy and I support them. And uh, I hope they uh, get some sanity from the powers that be uh, in that industry. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is a frontline issue in America today and could be a pivotal issue in the 2024 presidential congressional senatorial elections. All right, enough uh, for me on this. My distinguished guest has been waiting patiently. He's got a lot to say about a lot of things, and we haven't heard him in a while because he's been very, very busy, ironically, since he, quote-unquote, retired. Without further ado, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hello, Terry Cosgrove, former president and CEO of Personal Pact, and now quite feral. <coughs> ben, I want to comment on something you said. You know, I thought during COVID, when all these people were, <coughs> excuse me, were essential workers, that people would wake up to the value of so many of these frontline workers that you're talking about. I mean, not just the the SAG actors and providing all the Netflix entertainment and everything that people uh, enjoyed during uh, COVID, but also, you know, delivery people, people work in grocery stores. I thought, oh, finally, the broad American public is going to understand the value of teachers, too, are going to understand the value of, 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 what it takes for a society to function and how we need to treat people more fairly. And as soon as COVID was over, it's like it all vanished. You know, they're they're not essential workers all of a sudden. They were then, but not now. It, it's just, it, that's what surprises me more than anything. And it's quite shocking in terms of the empathy for people that uh, I think any of us that have worked with the public either as waiting tables in high school or college or doing anything can understand what what you have to deal with. And it's even worse now with uh, people feeling more, feeling more entitled and complaining and all of that. So I, 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 we have a lot to discuss uh, on the issue of reproductive rights. We're going to get to them. But I just want to say I am married uh, to a hairdresser uh, and um, tips are a big part of her uh, business. People give tips. And so we go out to eat, we quote unquote, throw down. Right. If you're married I mean, to a service worker, you throw down. I mean, it's like, it's not you know, 15%, not 20%, 25%, man. You know, and you know. I love that now on most receipts, they're telling you, so people don't have an excuse of, of not doing the math. Well, they tell everywhere you go, here's, 15%, 20%, 25%, 30%, All you have to do is touch a button. It's yeah, not yeah. that hard. You don't have to think of the math. You know. No. So. Absolutely. Throw down, ladies and gentlemen. Come yeah. on, don't be cheap. Uh, all right. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, so I'll just do a brief introduction about Terry Cosgrove, if you've forgotten who he is. Uh, I've known this uh, young man for probably 30 years. Uh, he's a big pain in the neck and a nuisance. Uh, but because he's a pain in the neck and because he's a nuisance, uh, I like to say uh, there are reproductive rights in the state of Illinois. Now, he's not alone, okay? I'm not saying that. But he was on the front lines. That was his issue. He would be like, I call him with other stories. I don't want to, don't bother me with X, Y, Z, Ben. This is my issue. Uh, and uh, he created, uh, or he helped create, I should say, with personal pack, um, a, a political institution that to me is a textbook that my beloved lefties should follow 
on other issues, environmental issues, if that's your thing, gun control, if that's your thing, economic equity, if that's your thing, about how to elect allies and hold them accountable. Uh, and so uh, that's my preamble. People may have forgotten, Terry, because you haven't been on the show in a while. You've been, uh, what have you been doing since you retired? Oh, so, well, I retired on uh, January 31 of this year and then got to work on the Wisconsin Supreme Court race on February 1. So my retirement lasted approximately 12 hours. It was wonderful. Um, no, seriously, I I did not realize, uh, I'm going to take a um, a moment of personal um, side here. Um, I didn't realize how much stress and pressure I was on for the last 33 years being responsible for so much. And all of a sudden, being a volunteer or just helping out in small ways uh, with different organizations and things and not being responsible for the outcome is an amazing experience. So I am really enjoying myself. So I jumped into the Wisconsin Supreme Court race right away. And as we know, that turned out very well. And that's another lesson for uh, for activists and how you use an issue, which was the abortion issue drove that race. I mean, I can't spend hours canvassing in Kenosha, Milwaukee, bringing people up there. And now, you know, currently today, so I did that. And um, I'm also involved with um, helping Joy Cunningham, who's running for the Illinois Supreme Court, um, which we don't have to discuss today, but that's how I've been spending some of my time. And then uh, the other one, the big thing that is the most urgent for, pe for people listening right now is the Ohio um, referendum there. Ohio, like Michigan, um, is putting an amendment on the ballot. In, in fact, it's this November, so I quite don't understand that. But the date that we're all focused on right now, that everyone listening to the show, if you know of anyone that lives in Ohio, if you know of um, any organizations that exist nationally or have um, that have chapters in Ohio, they need to be alerted because this is not just about reproductive rights. So what the right-wing Republicans have done, even though they passed a law a year or two ago saying you couldn't put a referendum on a ballot in at any time other than a primary general election, they now put a referendum on the ballot for August 8th. And the only item that's on the, uh, is on the ballot is raising the um, percentage of yes votes you need in order to amend the Ohio Constitution. So lo and behold, all the polling that's been done says that 59% of Ohio voters support amending that Ohio Constitution to say that abortion, birth control, IVF, um, et cetera, should be legal in the state of Ohio. Ohio has some of the most backward um, reproductive rights laws. Your listeners may remember that a 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio had to go to Indiana um, last year in order to get her, um, in order to get an abortion. Um, so what the Republicans have done on August 8th, <laughs> which is in two weeks, I think, two and a half weeks, um, the uh, there's going to be a referendum on the ballot to change the Ohio Constitution to say that in the middle of August to say that um, it, it takes 60% to amend the Constitution instead of 50. Um, and uh, so, so that's what people need to focus on. Everyone needs to know it's called issue number one because it's the only issue. And the, the vote on that is to vote no. If by voting no, you're saying that the state of Ohio needs to stay at 50% 
requirement in order to amend the Constitution. And Ben, the other thing that's really important about this, because I know you're supported by a lot of labor people and a lot of labor people, there's also going to be an amendment on the Ohio Constitution or um, about the minimum wage and to, to, to raise it and to make it do something with it legally. So I, you know, I don't have all the details on that, but I know that the unions are very involved with this issue as well about this changing it from 50 to 60% because the Republicans want to block all progressive legislation that they understand that they are such the minority opinion on guns on the minimum wage, on choice, on LGBTQ rights, the last thing they want to do is have democracy flourish and have the people actually get a voice in their government. So what they're doing is making it next to impossible uh, in order to amend the Constitution in Ohio. And so we have to stop them and the way to do it, which gets to the point that I emailed you about Recently, we have to break this right-wing fever, and the way to do it is through these constitutional amendments and through a statewide referendum, because these these gerrymandered Republican right-wing districts are not going to let it happen otherwise. So. All right. Now, a lot to unpack here, but I just want folks to understand this central issue right here uh, in Ohio. Uh, there was There's a referendum on the ballot in November that would uh, codify uh, rights to uh, to abortion in the state. That was going, that's coming before the voters. It's in November. Over 700,000 signers, I think, were gathered for, uh, to put that on the ballot, far more than they needed. Uh, and the uh, the MAGA folks who run the state of Illinois, run the state of Ohio, realized they were going to lose. So what they did as a tactical move was put another referendum on the ballot in a special election on August 8th. And that would raise, lower, uh, excuse me, raise the threshold that you need to pass a referendum. So they did a referendum to preempt the one that's on the ballot in November. This is slick moves. This is one of our favorite topics, Terry Cosgrove and mine. Democrats, more often than not, are utterly clueless in the game of politics. Republicans play hardball. They break their principles. They have no principles. You can't break something you don't have, Terry Cosgrove. They have no principles. They say one thing one day. If they can say something else the next day that will benefit them, they will do it. They don't care. Democrats got to stop. <laughs> stop pretending as though... <laughs> where everybody's playing by rules our favorite we make fun of these people all the time like the democrats in illinois who go let's have a fair map in illinois <laughs> come on t come on well it is a fair map yeah. <laughs> but ben you you're, you've just given me the opening that i have to go. say every single time on your show which goes directly to your point if you expect me to show up at a knife fight with my leg in a cast, an arm tied behind my back with a toothpick, I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to lose. And I think that's the message that that illustrates the Republicans versus most Democrats is they're, is they're afraid to, you know, show up, to use the weapons and show up. Uh, and I hate to use such a violent analogy, but uh, it's the best one that comes to mind right now. But really, it that's true. You And, you know, it goes to pushing people off the Republicans push 
um, their moderate Supreme Court justices, U.S. Supreme Court justices, off the court so they can replace them with right-wingers, and we sit around gnashing our teeth about people that should have, and I don't want to get into this, but that should not be in the United States Senate, should not be on the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, because it's just a setup to lose, and um, so... No. All right. So now let's go to the tactics that the Republicans are employing in Ohio. And all right, ladies and gentlemen, this all goes back to uh, the decision by the Supremes uh, over a year ago uh, to obliterate officially. Uh, Terry Cosgrove said it didn't exist for years anyway, but uh, it, it, to obliterate Roe. And it was state by state uh, as to what, whether uh, reproductive rights were enshrined or not. Uh, and in one MAGA state after another, they immediately uh, abolished abortion rights. Boom. As soon. Uh, and that inspired a counterinsurgency, if you will, of uh, people saying, no, that's too far. And it stunned the political universe, uh, Terry, last summer when there was a referendum in Kansas, which was... Uh, a MAGA state, if there ever was one, that was for abortion rights, to codify abortion rights. Uh, and man, that woke everybody up, state after state. This is the compelling statewide issue that is driving so many campaigns. And you would think not, that Republicans would see the writing on the wall and pull back tactically speaking, on this. But no, <laughs> uh-uh, it's full steam ahead. Uh, get into this, Tete. What, yeah, well, they're make- getting more, you know, they're getting more draconian by the day. I mean, these new laws that they're, you know, that they're coming up with in all these state legislatures to, to arrest women, to, you know, more, it's like every week or two, there's another state that's making abortion illegal or they're, you know, attacking um, doctors, uh, they're, there, um, I, I, I think it's like six states now have passed laws that they're they're able to they want to be able to track women who travel out of state, not even get an abortion in the state where it's illegal, but someone from um, Montana coming to Illinois, they want to be able to arrest that person for having the abortion in Illinois and putting him in jail for the rest of their lives um, once they return to Montana. So they're. It's, you know, it is, uh, and it's not going to quit. I mean, I think that's the mistake that, that, um, that people have made all along for decades is, is there was this belief that you could give these right wingers enough and they would say, okay, we're done. And they don't understand, you know, I, that, that they're not going to quit until abortion is illegal for all women under all circumstances for all time. And they are going to do whatever it takes to get that done. That means throwing people in jail. That means criminal, criminally prosecuting doctors, um, women who get abortions, anyone that helps them get an abortion from an Uber driver to a friend that takes someone. Um, they are, they're not going to stop. And, and none of the, the facts about, um, about mortality or women dying in hospital emergency rooms from miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies or anything like that's going to move them. You know, this is, this is a purely political problem. And it's, and I, you know, I have a lot of dear friends in the gun safety movement and I think what they need to do in order 
to capitalize on what's going on in the abortion lane and the gun safety lane is to say the only issue we are going to focus on is outlawing automatic assault weapons, period. Either you're with us or you're against us. It's it's against you're either pro-automatic assault weapons or you're against. That's it. That's the standard to hold everyone accountable to and forget all this other stuff. And that's how there, people are going to start to lose elections and we're going to get rid of automatic assault weapons. So I know I, I veered off the course, but well, that is the... Go back to Ohio for a second. Yeah. And because uh, uh, there's a third election that's very important. Yes, there's a fourth, third and fourth. A third and fourth. Uh, so, so again, ladies and gentlemen, one more time, keeping track, take notes if you need to. Uh, August, there is the referendum on raising the threshold from 50 to 60 to pass uh, a statewide uh, referendum. November, these are the actual abortion rights referendum. So if essentially reproductive rights people prevail in August, then they, uh, 50% is what they need to win uh, in November. Then in uh, 2024, there's obviously the presidential election. Ohio's a swing state, <laughs> in quotes. Uh, but there's also a Democratic senator, Senator Brown, who's up for re-election. And that, the, the control of the Senate, could come down to Ohio. I'm assuming Manchin's going to lose in West Virginia. So Ohio's going to be a very important state uh, and Terry, what happens uh, in that November constitution, constitutional battle, I believe will have an impact uh, in November with uh, Brown's reelection run. Your thought? Yes, Sherry Brown, and also two Ohio Supreme Court justices are on that ba- on that ballot, and that's going to determine the future on so many things. And and the and. One or two of the Republicans that are running for the Ohio Supreme Court have publicly stated that if the Constitution is amended, amended to enshrine abortion rights in the Constitution, they're not going to pay any attention to it. So this is so what's happening in Ohio is a is a um, microcosm of what's going on around the country about destroying our democracy. When you when you have people saying the will of the people doesn't matter, and then when the will of the people takes place as Supreme Court justices, we're going to ignore it. I mean, that's just that's just another step. So Ohio could not be more important, but I got to tell you, I am optimistic because we saw what happened in Wisconsin. We've seen what's happened that the right-wingers had not won a single referendum or constitutional question since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I think the the momentum is just going to grow. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to do the work, folks. <laughs> we have to contact every single person we know in Ohio. This is not going to happen without the money and the organizing and everyone getting involved. This Ohio election is a national election for us because if the wingers win this one, um, they're going to go on and try it in other states because they're already talking about raising the threshold in Florida is going to have a referendum. And they're that's how they're talking about getting around the will of the people. So if we can stop them in Ohio, we can stop them elsewhere. And we just have to keep fighting until, as I told you, Ben, we break the right wing fever. That's what it's going to take. I think we've come close to breaking it in, in Illinois. And we now we need to break it in other states. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm thinking uh, about the 
like the momentum that comes out of uh, 2023's election going into 2024. Um, is your sense that that momentum will continue regardless of the outcome uh, in August and November? In other words, will this still be a potent issue? Let's say the Dems win, or the Dems, let's say reproductive rights people win uh, in August, so you keep the threshold uh, at 50, and let's say they win in November. Uh, do you do you think that then, oh, people will be like, oh, there's, there's not as much need for me to go vote, or maybe I could be more tolerant of a MAGA person because uh, I'm safe now. What's your sense of this? No, my sense is is they um, is that they they have poked the sleeping giant, which is the pro-choice majority, and the sleeping giant. That's men and women, by the way, male and female voters and LGBTQ voters, and um, but no, they have, uh, and they're not going to stop. You know, it's not it's it's not like they're going to. Let's just say, for sake of argument, they do lose in Ohio. People should not have any, you know, that's what we all thought, you know, after Bill Clinton got elected and made a few Supreme Court appointments after Barack Obama. Oh, everything's fine. We did our job. We have to worry about anything. We go home and, you know, and not and not pay attention anymore. Um, except in this instance, the right wingers are not going to give up with all their draconian. Um, so they're going to come back with something else. But I also think that that people have gotten the message that 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 who you vote for really, really matters when it comes to impacting our lives. And I think that's what the abortion issue has done to a great extent is that people are feeling, uh, particularly, you know, and a lot of the stuff that I've been involved with in other states, what we're seeing is that people in California, New York, Illinois, Vermont, Maine, Oregon are, are rather complacent about the abortion issue on the state level because they're not feeling it directly. Like, I don't mean that we're not feeling it directly in Illinois because waiting period of the time it takes to get an appointment to have an abortion might be longer, but uh, but we're not feeling it the same way people are in Missouri and uh, Iowa and Indiana and, and Ohio. But people in these red states who are living under these laws are really motivated. They are feeling it, they're organizing, they're getting their acts together. And uh, so I'm really optimistic about that, 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 that we're going to see some clear changes in Ohio, I think is the best example that we have in the very near future here, is that if we do the work, uh, we can stop these right wingers and start to turn things around at the state level. Uh, and uh, All right. To that point, uh, something you said to me before we went on the mic, I'd love you for elaborate on, uh, and you talked about uh, Project 50. Uh, which, well, you t explain what Project 50 yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Project 50 is, you know, I'm retired. So um, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not leading this uh, by in any way, shape or form. But um, a bunch of really smart people um, from Illinois and across the country actually um, have come together and decided that they are, that this, they've formed this organization. And the purpose of it is to take the personal pack model to other states, to to like not not all fifty states at once. Not all fifty states need it, but the idea is to make abortion rights enshrined uh, in in the states across the country. And so they are looking very very closely at which states to target in twenty twenty four in order to institute the personal pack model. 
So um, people like Tina Chin, um, Brian Howard, who used to be the CEO of Arizona Planned Parenthood for like 25 years. He's the director of it. Um, Tina Chin is on the board. Several personal PAC board members are involved with it. And then uh, Kathleen Sibilis, who's the former governor of Texas, the former um, Health and Human Services Secretary, uh, she was she just came on the board. So we have some really good people. And then there's, uh, there's some other national people that are really helping out with it. And so basically, I mean, to summarize it, take the personal path model and uh, take it to other states. And I will say, you know, it took us here 33 years, 32 years in order to get this work done. But I spent 25 years just of my 33 years, just trying to convince people that we were in trouble that Roe was going to be overturned, which led to House Bill 40, Ben, as you know, that got, got rid of the trigger law. I know you're going to ask me to tell your uh, your listeners what HB 40 was, but it was the law that Illinois was one of four states that had a trigger law that said when Roe was overturned, abortion would become illegal in Illinois. And we got rid of that in 2017. And even then, we had all these people in the legislature and elsewhere saying, oh, you're being dramatic. Uh, Roe Ro is safe. And I'm we said, I said, no, it's not. We that 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 is our biggest enemy is believing that things are okay because what I saw is they absolutely weren't, and a lot of it was what was going on in all these states. I mean, more and more states were enacting, and I knew one of these cases would eventually get to this to a Supreme Court that would overturn Roe. To me, it was it was clear that that's where this whole thing was going, and. Um, so now in Indiana and all these other states, they don't have to spend 25 years convincing people that we're in trouble because you know what? Everyone knows the trouble we're in. They hear the stories of women um, being turned away in hospital emergency rooms uh, uh, at the edge of death from a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy or, um, or all kinds of pregnancy-related um, uh emergencies that threaten their health and their lives. And it's on the, it's on the national news every day. And the f- women that just filed the lawsuit in Texas who were brought to the edge of death and a few of them lost their access to their fertility going forward because they were not treated in hospital emergency rooms. So, um, so, so we have, we can fast forward this thing to year 26, 27, 28 of my years at personal path. So that's what we're working on is, is bringing the model. People are where they need it and let's get moving. All right. So here's an important distinction about Illinois um, that may make the model difficult to emulate. And this will be tying themes together that we've already stated in the, the show. So as I said earlier, There is a strain in the Democratic Party of incredibly naive people uh, who think that uh, Republicans will play fair and we can have fair maps. Uh, The reality is that an ally, people don't like to hear this, but an ally of the reproductive rights movement in the state of Illinois were the leaders of the House and the Senate, and they were Democrats. And I was opposed to them on many, many fronts. John Cullerton in the Senate, Michael Joseph Madigan in the House. My, I diverged from them on many issues, Terry, but on the issue of reproductive rights, uh, they were solidly uh, pro-choice. 
And the maps they drew favored pro-choice candidates. That's not the case in the legislative districts of Wisconsin. Uh, that's not the case in the legislative districts of Ohio. That's not the case in the legislative districts of North Carolina. Even if a majority of the state favors reproductive rights, Terry, if the maps are gerrymandered to give most of the power to MAGA types, you're really going to have a challenge replicating the personal PAC model in Ohio. Your thoughts? My thoughts is take Wisconsin off your list because Janet Proasayich is getting sworn in on August 5th and, and, and those four feminist women out of seven on the Wisconsin Supreme Court are going to change things. And uh, so the, the the congressional 6-3 map, I, I'm just guessing. I don't have any inside information. I've never talked to a single Supreme Court justice in the state of Wisconsin. I can barely pronounce their names, much less know what's on their minds. But I'm guessing that the 1849 abortion, Wisconsin abort, anti-abortion law is going to get thrown out. I'm just guessing now. I'm guessing that the state legislative map that was drawn by the Republicans under Scott Walker, your friend, <laughs> um, is going to get thrown out as well as the congressional map. So take Wisconsin off your list. But here's where I think you're wrong, Ben, is that is that all it's going to take, all, I, I should put that in quotes, what it's going to take, you're, you're forgetting uh, when Governor Thompson vetoed 34 of 34 anti-abortion laws that all got over overridden and by by Democrats in the Illinois General Assembly. And you know what? They changed. And the reason why they changed is because they saw the writing on the wall and they knew that it was no longer. And so what it's going to take in these other states is, and already in Arizona, the leading, anti, Project 50 knocked out the leading anti-choice senator in Arizona and replaced her with a pro-choice leader. That was one of their victories. They just got started in 2022, right before the election. So getting back to breaking the fever, we don't have to win everything. What we have to do, and you know, Ben, you go back long enough, that what, what, what was the one thing that got attention to personal PAC that happened in 1990 that everyone woke up and said, oh my God, things <laughs> oh are my different. God. Uh, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> this is, Come on, you know what it is? Rosemary Mulligan. Rosemary oh, Mulligan turned... Okay, yeah. the, all of a sudden, everyone woke up and said, Penny Poland, the leading anti-choice leader in the Illinois General Assembly, was knocked out, who had a 360,000 to 59,000 a bank account advantage. She was in leadership and she lost the election based on choice. In fact, Ben, you have to interview, there's a book coming out about the Mulligan Poland race. You have to interview the guy. In fact, remind me offline. You have to interview the author. He's incredible. He's like, time out, Lisa, did you hear that sentence? You have to do it. This is what I've been dealing with for 30. You have to do it. Not, oh, Ben, it might be a good idea if you did it. Or Ben, I really would appreciate it if you did it. No, you have to do it. No, and Ben, I, I'm no, sending I have, you a copy of the book. I'm going to buy it for you as a gift. So go okay. on. No, but yeah. this is an important point, and no. I, I have to interrupt Terry to agree with him because this is a really important point. Yeah. So this is a rare moment, so you might as well enjoy this. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. When uh, 
Mulligan beat Pollitt uh, in um, 1990, did you say it was? I've no, lost yeah, 90 and then 92 was the rematch after she lost, after she won the coin toss and lost by six The votes. aforementioned Michael Joseph Madigan was paying attention. And until then, Michael Madigan was all about winning. I don't know if Michael Madigan has a personal belief on any issue other than I want to win. And he saw the future in these suburban districts. The future was pro-choice candidates. And, and what he did he had do in 1992, Ben? He went out and recruited Lauren Beth Gash, Barb Gialetto in Rockford. He recruited pro-choice women across the state. And he his record, in the, he had like 78 members or something after the 92 election. Yeah, because no, he and and so he 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 learned. Now he still was allowing that that's uh, republic uh, that democratic state rep to advance his nutty bills. Oh God, I'm blanking on his name. The last democratic state rep who was against abortion from uh, Lyons. He was still allowing him to advance his bills because uh, I remember Kelly Cassidy when she first came in to the House would be battling him on those issues. Uh, but by and large. Uh, the days of uh, anti-abortion Democrats was uh, the beginning of the end was that 1990 election that you just alluded to, because that's what Michael Joseph Madigan realized the future was in a pro-choice movement and that he could retain power if he just became pro-choice. So guess what, ladies and gentlemen, he became pro-choice. Uh, that's a very valuable lesson. And I sit corrected uh, with that. God, that hurts saying that you're right and I'm wrong, but that is uh, true uh, in that particular matter. Um, all right. So it will be difficult and challenging. To yeah, replicate. it's not going to be easy, but we're, we can do it. It's we, we, we bump off a few of these right wing Republicans in, under these gerrymandered maps. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, this is a problem. And I got to tell you, it behind the scenes, Ben, it's already going on there. The. The Republicans are reeling from their losses on abortion, and they're realizing that uh, that um, they're. In fact, I, I've I've heard a bunch of them questioning whether it was whether it was stupid politically to overturn Roe v. Wade. Duh, because they <laughs> haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> well, see, Republicans are. I just had a conversation uh, with another guest about this. Uh, shout out, David Ferris. Republicans. They're they're so arrogant in some ways, and and so scared in some in other ways. But at the same time, they're scared of their uh, rabid base, uh, and they're arrogant. They think power will just exist over and over forever for them. So to the, this point, which is not directly related to abortion, uh, David Ferris pointed out that the Republicans have a huge problem, obviously, with Donald Trump. This man is going to be uh, Terry uh, on trial in four different <laughs> venues in the as of today. Yeah, as of today, could be more. The point is, this will be going on while he's running for president. He is the front runner. I guess my guess is the uh, MAGA will nominate him to be their candidate to run against Joe Biden. Okay, and this is a major headache for Mitch McConnell. All right, Mitch, this, the 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 leader of the, uh, the Republicans in the Senate. He could have avoided this if he had, uh, as David Ferris put it, whipped the votes to impeach Trump after January 6th. He could have taken the hit then, politically speaking, from the base, impeach Trump and get a provision in there that he can never run for president again, let the base howl, but the fact is he would be off the stage. But no, McConnell was chicken. He didn't make that move. He was too afraid of, of enraging the, um, 
right wing base. Uh, so it was sort of like, oh, let the prosecutors do this job. Well, it, it doesn't really work that well with the prosecutors doing the job in terms of the ma the MAGA bases. So now they got a problem with Donald Trump. I'm not crying for them, but it's scary for our country. Similar with abortion. They can't find, they can't move left on this issue, Terry, at all because they're so co-opted by the cult. Right. Right. It's, and it's not even moving left. It's just they can't even find any common sense around. You know, it's because what's changing is the is the, you know, moderate Republicans and the independents, not the right wing Republicans, not the Democrats that have all been. But th those are the people that are waking up and that are that are not with them anymore, not to mention young people. I mean, they're I mean, that that. The number of people on those 13, I hate to keep coming back to Wisconsin, but the number of young people that came out and voted on those 13 college and university campuses in Wisconsin on April 4th made a huge difference. And, um, you know, every single day, a, an old white guy like us then dies and another, and another uh, young person turns 18. So, and more than one, I might add. Um, so I, so the demographics, I mean, everything is, and, and, you know, young people, they're the, in fact, I just read, there's been several recent articles, how, how religion is one of the biggest drivers and they're never in the history of the country of so few people identified as being religious. I mean, it has gone down dramatically. So there's a lot of demographics that are working in the favor of breaking this fever is what I'm going to keep coming back to. All right. So, uh, as long as we're talking about the fever, let me close by shifting gears a little bit and uh, get your thoughts on this. And this is a curveball, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't know this was coming. Like, ha actually, half of this conversation, he didn't know it was coming. Uh, but we've talked so much in this show uh, about the MAGA 6 ruling regarding uh, the uh, graphic designer in uh, Colorado who uh, claimed that she had a constitutional right uh, not to serve gay people who are looking for invitations for uh, gay marriages. Uh, to me, this was another indication uh, that MAGA is doubling down on their war against LGBTQ across the board. You're just seeing it state after state after state. You're seeing it in school board elections. You're seeing it in curriculum battles. You're seeing it in trying to ban books in libraries. You're seeing it... Uh, you're seeing it... Uh, Pretend, the pretension that, that it's about parent rights uh, when it's really about like hating people, a certain group. In your humble opinion, as a guy who's been in the political game forever, do you think this is a winning strategy to openly hate on the LGBTQ community? Well, no, I don't. And uh, particularly among young people, this is really riling them up with uh, because of their attitudes towards gender and, you know, and sexuality and LGBTQ people. Um, but I, I think the important part of this, Ben, is how this is really the tip of the spear. If you are Jewish or you're Muslim or um, or any or African-American, any other um group that is covered by the, by the non-discrimination laws, they're, you know, you're next. Uh, and I think people are getting that. 
Um, what this Supreme Court decision basically said, if someone wants to put up a sign, um, you know, if your wife wants to put up a sign at her salon saying, sorry, sorry, um, Jewish uh, patrons not allowed. I mean, she, that case would go to the Supreme Court and who knows how they would react. The same thing goes for, uh, for, um, for Muslims, for African-Americans, for uh, Latina Latinos. I mean, it just, it opens up the gate that says that our non-discrimination laws really don't mean anything if you can state that you have a religious objection to it. So it is, it is such a wide opening to, um, to treating people horribly. And just like there's, you know, that case and I forget what the town is in Michigan, there was a hairdresser that put up a sign saying LGBTQ people not welcome here, go get your hair cut somewhere else. So, um, I think that's, and, and I think people are getting that, that what the court did, while as horrible it is, as it is for the LGBTQ community, it is also opening up, along with the affirmative action case, uh, just a, a wide open lane here uh, to, to take us back to the 1950s, you know, and, and using religion again as the, you know, as the veil uh, having some of religious objection that you really can't point to, except someone believes that. And so that's where I think it's headed. Yeah. Yeah. No, Very I, dangerous. Uh, it is a dangerous moment. It's a frightening moment in many ways. Uh, and uh, <sighs> bashing gays worked for uh, baby Bush in 2004. Uh, man, I'll, I'll never forget that election. Uh, I thought, what's that? Speaking of Ohio. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Ohio. Very good. Speaking of Ohio. Uh, and um, I so naively and foolishly thought that we had moved on. Uh, and um, particularly after Obama finally got around to embracing uh, gay marriage. If you recall, Obama and Biden in 2008 ran against it. And by 2012, uh, they were embracing it. Uh, and I thought, well, we moved past this. And now, uh, Terry, I see we haven't moved past well, it. Well, you know, Ben, it, there's over 70% of Americans support marriage equality in this country. That is a huge um, change from 10 years ago. I mean, I think it was in the mid to, to low 40s or something. And now it's, I just saw a poll recently that showed 77% of Illinois voters uh, support marriage equality. So, and that that takes in a lot of Republicans and a lot of uh, and a lot of independents too. That's not that's not just Democrats when you have numbers like that. So, I think again, it goes to how out of step this you know couple this with the abortion decision, with the affirmative action decision, with the EPA decision, with the student loan decision. Whether you agree or disagree with it, you couple with it, and the picture that these MAGA Republicans are drawing is we don't care. You know, what 85% of people want us automatic assault rifles outlawed in this country. And they cannot do that in the United States Congress or all but a few states, Illinois, you know, happily being one of them. So this, I, I mean, I hate to beat this drum, but all of these issues are adding up to and a tremendous opportunity for us to galvanize people. Because Ben, you and I know in the end, what's going to change us is we have to win elections. As long as they keep winning elections, this is the policies we're going to get. And until we start winning elections, things are not going to change. 
And, and, and people have to get sober about that. You know, this is, this is showing up, registering to vote, volunteering, and making sure everyone you know goes out and votes. Cause, cause that's what we changed in Illinois. You know, it amazes me. People come to say, Oh, Terry, how did we do it in Illinois? How did you do it? And I'm going, well, duh, we won elections. It's like, Oh, it's, this is not, you know, we, we don't have to make the Oppenheimer movie about the atomic bomb to figure this out. You know, this is, this is really straightforward. Winners make policy, losers make noise. Let's yeah. people, let's by get the, to it. By the way, uh, I just have to say, uh, th- and we'll close down this interview. This is when we do this, I will do it definitely a show on that Mulligan book because there was a time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, where Madigan went after Mulligan and uh, he set her up. And it's a long story. I'm not going to go into it now. I'll save it for another time. It's one of my favorite political stories of how, she, how Madigan manu- maneuvered and, and his machinations of Madigan. And Terry Cosgrove, like this guy, he was like, uh-uh, that's my girl. <laughs> You're not going after Rosemary. And he, he, he beat Madigan on that one. And Every time he spent millions and I actually had the opportunity of a conversation about this at some point, like years later, but that's come on, mad dog. Admit that Terry beat you on that one. Go ahead. You you don't like to admit it, but I will never forget that election. That was classic. Ladies and gentlemen, subterranean too. And that was, don't quote me. It was beautiful. Uh, I was happy to play my small little role in that. Uh, My my favorite role in all that was playing bike messenger, but we'll deal with that. We'll uh, talk about that later. All right. Uh, Terry Cosgrove. It's a blast talking to you. Whether you're retired or not retired. Uh, And, uh, We'll bring you back for that. Well, for many stories, but that Mulligan one, I really want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I'm going to send you the email that. of the guy. Okay. Too, so all you right. Get in touch. Yeah. Uh, all right. Very good. I'm going to let you go because I know you're going to run out and go see Oppenheimer. I think that's the movie you're seeing this weekend. Uh, uh, I put it off, but no, I'm definitely going to see it. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to see it. In fact, I was just telling my other guests, I think I'm going to actually go to the really big, big, big. Yeah, screen. the IMAX. Well, the music box is doing the 60 millimeter version of it. Too. Yeah, yeah. The music box. Yeah, I can't. The seats are so uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> we're all. Yeah, two baby boys. We're old. <laughs> we're, old. <laughs> uh, we're old, but young at heart. All right, Terry. Yes. Thank okay. you very much. Uh, Take care. That's Terry Cosgrove. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.